Hi, welcome to Bookie, which unlock big ideas from world bestsellers in audio, text, and mind map. Please download Bookie at Apple Store or Google Play with more features, get your free mind snack now. Today we will be unlocking the book, Maybe You Should Talk to Someone. Lori Gottlieb, the book's author, frequently encounters a particular scenario, when she tells someone that she is a therapist, they stop in their track surprised, before promptly proceeding to ask a series of bizarre questions, like, should I tell you about my childhood, or, can you help me with this problem with my mother-in-law, or even, are you going to psychoanalyze me? However, swiftly, after this initial reaction, people try to avoid her, as if she is no longer an ordinary mortal. Suddenly, she is transformed into a mutant with supernatural powers, allowing her to read people's minds. In fact, this reaction is usually out of fear, fear of being exposed, fear of being analyzed. Actually, psychotherapists do not have any superpowers. They are merely people who have gone through a professional training. This study equips them with the corresponding theories, tools, and techniques to help their patients resolve issues that plague them. They undertake to help people to edit their personal narratives, aiding them in weeding out the material that obscures the main plot. This process allows the patient to assess if a newly introduced character in the narrative plays a central or supporting role or is merely disruptive. They support the patient in ascertaining if their protagonist is simply going around in circles or has, in fact, been making constant progress. In this way, they help their patients clarify the truth. Among the psychotherapist's repertoire of skills, there is no magic ability that allows them to immediately or quickly surmise a person's innermost and greatest fear with a single commanding glance. Apart from these aforementioned professional skills, the fundamental factor enabling psychotherapists to successfully help others is this, they too are flesh and blood human beings. Hence, they are ordinary people with the same weaknesses, unease, and desires. They, too, must engage in a difficult battle with their own primitive human nature. Psychotherapists may even have challenges that they cannot resolve on their own. These require them to adopt the role of a patient and seek help from another psychotherapist. Lori did this herself. It is precisely because they are also susceptible to being plunged into the depths of pain that psychotherapists are able to truly understand the pain of others, because, when people confide in them, they are predisposed to empathize with their troubles. Possessing this shared understanding and empathy is, in fact, a fundamental prerequisite for them to be able to offer help and support. Now, we will enter Lori's psychotherapeutic clinic and look into her personal life to experience her and her patient's stories. The first story is Julie's funeral party, it's a party, please wear black. The second story is Rita's date with death, what if I kill myself on my 70th birthday? The third story is Lori's psychological counseling, a psychotherapist encounters psychological issues. Julie often joked about her pre-cancer days, referring to them as, B.C., before cancer. Through that period, she was incredibly happy. She had toiled for many years to finally become a tenured professor at her university. She had also recently married her boyfriend, Matt. In fact, when she first noticed the symptoms of cancer, Julie was on her honeymoon, on the beaches of Tahiti. At that time, she felt a slight abnormal pain around her breast, but she assumed that it could have been a sign of pregnancy.
After returning from the honeymoon, Julie indeed fell pregnant, but she was also diagnosed with cancer. The hateful cancer not only robbed Julie of her life's serenity, but she also lost her baby. It was at this point that Julie walked into Lori's clinic, seeking to find a way to endure the cancer treatment period. She chose Lori, who was not specialized in treating people with cancer, because she did not want to be viewed as a brave fighter by the therapists on the cancer team. Instead, Julie wanted a therapist to treat her like any other conventional patient. She did not feel like she was any kind of fighter, simply an ordinary human being who cringed at the sight of a needle. Thereafter, Julie went through the hell of brutal invasive cancer treatment, leading, finally, to the day her doctors declared she was tumor-free. After a further six months, if the result of her medical review remained constant, Julie's journey with cancer would finally come to an end. The results of her medical review were indeed optimal, but her journey with cancer was far from over. Elsewhere in Julie's body, the doctors discovered another rare form of cancer, nothing to do with her original cancer. They diagnosed that this particular cancer would more than likely kill her, possibly within a year, five years or ten years at the most. Screw you, thought Julie, as anger devoured her. But life has to go on. Finally, Julie decided to plan out the days she had left. She asked Lori, will you stay with me until I die? Lori couldn't turn her down and had no desire to do so. From that point on, for Julie, her psychotherapy session's focus shifted from how to tide over her cancer treatment to how to come to terms with death. Julie knew in her heart that it was time for her to confront her mortality, no matter how unwilling she was to entertain the fact of her death. She appointed Lori to accompany her on this journey towards her terminal destination. When it's time to address the issue of death, people often procrastinate, bucket lists are a classic manifestation of such tendencies. People think that the purpose of bucket lists is to ward off regret, but in actually, they serve to ward off death itself. The longer the list, the more time we imagine we have left to check things off. Yet, now was the moment for Julie to face reality, the reality that she had a specific deadline. Many of her wishes would not be fulfilled before this particular endpoint. So, she had no alternative but to cut the items off her bucket list one by one. When she was about to remove having a baby from the list, Julie hesitated. On the one hand, if she were to give birth, she was worried that she would have little time left to her to spend with her child. On the other hand, she feared that should the doctor's experimental treatment turn out to be effective, should she ultimately be released from the claws of cancer, because of her present anxieties, she would have missed her chance to be a mother. Julie shared the dilemma with her husband, Matt. Matt offered repeated assurance, promising her that he would be a good father. Finally, Julie decided to try to conceive a child. She made the decision because both she and Matt realized that everything in life was uncertain. It was wiser to live in the moment than to spend their days tormented by fear of the future. Beyond becoming a mother, Julie had another more prosaic dream, to become a supermarket cashier. Julie's university work meant she had faced constant pressure to write and publish over many years. Unconsciously she was drawn to the vocation of a cashier, a job offering immediate and tangible results through activities such as restocking inventories, packing groceries, and tidying the shelves in the store. 
Julie imagined that she would feel a great sense of satisfaction at the end of a day's work. Additionally, cashiers frequently chatted with customers, talking about trivial everyday things. Yet, Julie felt these mundane things were, in fact, the truly significant things of life. Matt thought that Julie was insane. He felt that she should take a good rest while she was pregnant rather than run off to work as a cashier. Similarly, when Lori heard of Julie's intentions, in her heart of hearts, she disapproved. Yet, she immediately recognized that her and Matt's disapprobations, although stemming from genuine fears for Julie's health, were also driven by a sort of envy. It was evident that relative to everybody else, Julie had suddenly broken out of an invisible cage. Julie had made up her mind to pursue the things she truly wanted to do in life with confidence and resolve. Swiftly, Julie moved to apply for that supermarket job. Before long she received a reply giving her the opportunity to work the Saturday morning shift. At around this time, the oncologist discovered that the tumor in her body had disappeared. These two grand prizes landing in her lap at once sent Julie over the moon. One day, while Lori and her son were queuing up to pay at a supermarket, she noticed, further away, another cashier with blonde hair and an attractive face. She was juggling oranges in an attempt to amuse a toddler in a stroller throwing a tantrum. After a few moments, it dawned on Lori that this cashier was none other than Julie wearing a blonde wig. In that moment, Lori realized that even though Julie had lost the freedom that she had previously craved in her life, the freedom that came with achieving tenure at a university, now she had, in fact, won a brand new, entirely unexpected sort of freedom. Lori almost felt like crying as she gazed at the cashier, popular with the customers, like a bright star. Throughout this time, Julie was pregnant. She went eight months before suffering an unfortunate miscarriage. Subsequently, she failed another time to go full term on her third attempt. Tests indicated that Julie's uterus was inhospitable due to a fibroid. Julie comforted herself by thinking, but at least I don't have cancer. During the surgery to remove the fibroid, the doctors discovered that Julie's cancer had returned. Once again it had spread, this time throughout her body. It meant that death was inevitable. Matt and Julie were sat side by side on vinyl chairs and they received the news. The doctor was understandably worried for them, but they burst out laughing. They continued to laugh relentlessly, confronting many different doctors, following the initial consultation to the specialist oncologist who came in later to confirm the prognosis. Finally, their laughter turned to tears. This is grief, you will laugh at life's absurdity, then you will weep at your misfortune. However, when the shock of grief had passed, Julie still needed to face reality. The doctors told her that if she wanted to live longer, she would have to forfeit her colon or her uterus. In the past, Julie would not have entertained such a choice. Since succumbing to cancer, neither was no longer a viable option. When the doctor asked her, would you rather remove your breasts and live, or keep your breasts and die? She had to choose. Likewise, she had to choose between preserving her colon and preserving her uterus. At this point, there seemed to be only one imperative left for Julie, to live. 
she had once firmly believed that she would much rather die than have her poop leave her body through a hole in her abdomen. Yet now, under the pressure of reality, she chose life. Without the option to refuse, Julie began to consider what sort of colostomy bag she would like to use. On the other hand, imminent death made Julie discover the world again. It was death's vivid silver lining. It was as if she had come to know the world anew in her dying days. On tasting the fresh sweetness of strawberry juice, she was reacquainted with her palate. She rediscovered her sense of smell from the flowers at her doorstep, her colleague's perfume, as well as the seaweed that had been washed onto the shore by the sea. Every ordinary slight thing made her feel joy as if she was living in hyperreality. She tried to avoid thinking all the things she was going to lose, and make herself realize that even if the cancer were to consume her tomorrow, she could at least still take a deep breath today. One day, Lori received an email with the subject line, It's a party, wear black. It was the invitation to a funeral, Julie had passed away. Lori attended the funeral as a friend, joining Julie's family and other friends to bid her farewell on her final journey. The group took turns to share stories they remembered about times together. When it was Matt's turn, he showed a book that Julie had written for him, The Shortest Longest Romance, An Epic Love and Loss Story. Matt told everybody that he was surprised to discover that after the book's final chapter, which also marked the end of their story together, Julie added a conclusion. Here she wrote him the most painful and yet most extraordinary love letter. It took the form of a dating profile. Julie had hoped that it would help Matt find someone to spend the rest of his life with and that it would encourage Matt to fall head over heels in love once more with someone else. Hearing this, the crowd gathered at the funeral broke into tears and laughter at the same time. Just as everyone thought that Matt's speech had come to an end, he shared something else. He had similarly prepared a dating profile for Julie to use in heaven. In this dating profile, he left instructions for Julie's future partner, such as, Julie does not like eating mushrooms, or Julie loves to work as a cashier. Matt described how Julie battled with the god of death, how she did good deeds to others, how she made the lives of everyone around her better and more beautiful. At first, sporadic laughter rang out from the audience, but soon everyone shed tears. The obituary Julie had written for herself read, for every single day of her 35 years, Julie Callahan Blue was loved. Matt and everyone present at the funeral hoped that even after her death, Julie would remain loved. Matt believed that even if they were separated by death, he would find new ways of loving her. Matt believed that despite passing through death, their love would live on. Unlike most other psychotherapeutic treatments, this particular approach to therapy wasn't focused on a cure that would achieve a happy ending. The aim was to promote hope through the course of a difficult journey. During the psychoanalytic process, rather than leading, instead, in her therapist's role, Lori acted as a companion, accompanying Julie on the path towards death. Lori's purpose was to help Julie come to terms with dying. Her most valuable contribution in this process of reconciliation was striving to help Julie stay true to herself. When confronted with life's fundamental dilemma, Julie discovered that facing death squarely enabled her to live more fully and more enthusiastically. Striving to avoid thoughts of loss, 
Julie told herself that even though she would grieve over her own death, she would also shout at the top of her lungs, with all her might, every day she had left, as long as death was yet to come. People who believe they have many years of life yet to live often feel that they are in a different situation to Julie. Hence many people only give brief attention to their mortality, perhaps adding a few extra items to their bucket list before reverting to their original state of denial. Yet they neglect a grim truth, the likelihood that death will follow life is 100%. No one can go on living, and we have absolutely no way of predicting when our end will come or how we will be struck down. Thus, just like Julie's example, the only way to cope is to live in the moment, live life to the fullest, live till the day we die. Today, we are just sharing limited content. To unlock more key insights of world-class bestseller, please download our app. Just search for Buki at Apple Store or Google Play, get your free mind snack now. Dir hat dieser Podcast gefallen? Dann klicke jetzt auf Abonnieren und empfehle ihn weiter. Bleib immer auf dem Laufenden und folge uns bei Twitter, Instagram und Facebook. Mehr Podcasts findest du auf meinpodcast.de.